It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Hey listeners and welcome once again to the Two Jacks episode 59. If we were counting and we're really not, we've been going for a lot longer than that, but this is our episode where we talk about uh, political and media matters in this country and then move around the world to see what else is going on there. And joining me, as usual, is uh, all the way in Hong Kong. Hong Kong Jack, g'day, mate. G'day. And uh, tell me, what's going on in Hong Kong at the moment? Because uh, apart from shivering, apart from shivering, not much. I know it's hot in Sydney, but it's uh, it's not hot here. Oh, it's not that warm. We were supposed to have a heat wave. Well, I'm, I'm not in Sydney, of course, but uh, halfway between Sydney and uh, Canberra. And uh, we we're supposed to have this heat wave. I don't know what it's like in Sydney, but here it's just kind of muggy, unseasonally muggy, but not hot. Um, and we've had a very sort of mild summer so far with the rain. But g- uh, give us uh, give us the quick weather report from Hong Kong. Oh, it's, it's Maximum been- of? It's been sub ten for most of the week, um, so that for, for me Melbourne. that's stealing that's stealing the palings off the back fence next door and um, uh, and burning them in the lounge room stuff. You know, climate change in action, mate. Climate change in action. Told you, you've well, got to be ready for this stuff. It's not as cool as it has been here. Um, I, I know uh, from my reading that in the fifties there were um, a few winters here where the tele- telephone wires. Remember when the phone used to come in through on wires on poles? Well, the telephone do, wires froze and snapped up on the peak. Uh, we haven't quite got it that cold. No, no, you won't get any free. Or you might be freezing personally, but you won't have anything frozen. Uh, with uh, with uh, maximums just under ten, but that is that is Melbourne. That's actually Hobart weather, mate. It is, it is. Well, well, well. We'll be better, better get started with the show proper. And uh, one of the big stories of the last few days is the resignation or the announcement uh, of the resignation of one Scott Morrison, former Prime Minister Jack. Well, firstly, where's he off to? Uh, he's got a series of consultancies, I think, with um, uh, some friends he made putting the AUKUS um, deal together. Yeah. Look, let's just briefly touch on that. I, I noticed that a number of the crossbenchers, uh, some of the teals were, were fairly upset about that, not just that, but this um, sort of consultancies for life through relationships um, uh, derived through his political career. Uh, as many do, both sides of the of the fence, is it something that should be restricted for a period of time at least? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's one of those things. I mean, I, you know, I, I, look, the, the people who are seeking him as a consultant uh, are the ones seeking his contacts and uh, uh, and his, I guess, nous for want of a better term, and experience as a prime minister. So yeah, there are there are some sort of ethical issues there, but that's not they're not just strictly with with Scott Morrison. Um, this is uh, well covered territory for a lot of retiring senior uh, politicians. Where some of them f- have done a better job of this than others, I might say. Uh, yeah, well, look, the gaming industry is kind of like a retirement village for uh, for the Labor Party, mate. It is. It is. Um, uh, um, 
the the best of the ex prime ministers in terms of managing that, I think, has been Julia Gillard. Yeah, where, where does where does Morrison fit in the pantheon of prime ministers, Jack? Does he does he sneak in above Billy McMahon, or is he a bit below him? Uh, well, I think Billy McMahon's the floor. Um, uh, <laughs> never, so, never, never to be, never, never to be challenged. No, no, I don't think so. Um, uh, certainly, Scott Morrison became the most ex of ex prime ministers very quickly. Oh yeah, um, and and I think that was in large part because of the five secret ministries, because that destroyed the trust between he and his former colleagues. You know, mm. people will forgive you for leading them to defeat but they don't like that sort of deceit um, uh, when it's used against them. It was an act of deceit, wasn't it? He did uh, He did actually, I believe he had the conversation with Greg Hunt first when he decided to become the health minister as well. Uh, and these things, well, it was part of a book um, written uh, by Simon Benson and um, uh, Martin Chambers. And... Uh, uh, sorry, Greg James, and uh, and 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 that was sort of understood and released and um, denied. But then he took on the Treasury portfolio. Was it Foreign Ministry as well? I mean, and these were these were just unknown to his colleagues. Yeah, people like M- Matthias Cormann and uh, Josh Frydenberg um, did not know that he was um, uh, also sworn in as uh, as minister for their portfolios. I actually think David Hurley, the Governor-General, has a case to answer on this as well. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I know that the Governor-General ought to, that the convention is they act on the advice of their Prime Minister, but they are allowed to ask questions. And I think the Governor-General um, should have been asking Morrison, did the ministers know about this um, uh, and was it properly, um, was it was it something, that, something that came out of the Cabinet? Was it a Cabinet decision? How did it come about? Yeah, indeed. How would we describe his pandemic? And, man? And, How and would we describe really, just, just 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 go to the the, the COVID management? Does he deserve some praise for that? Uh, well, I don't think he was any worse than a lot of other a lot of other politicians who were doing this on a wing and a prayer, really, not really knowing what they were doing. Well, the story goes that uh, the job seeker that was sorry, not uh, job keeper and job seeker, um, job seeker allowance was increased during the period of the pandemic in the first year, uh, first year and a half, uh, and uh, and job keeper was put in place. And the story goes that this was more or less a trade union um, development, and uh, and Morrison didn't want to pursue it, and uh, Frydenberg had to convince him that uh, had to keep people. Uh, with sufficient finances to keep uh, keep uh, everyone in the family home fed. Um, yeah, well, you'll you'll always have those disputes uh, amongst the ministry um, within cabinet, um, uh, and I don't think they take you very far trying to analyse those because people are doing this on the run, um, and and you need that backwards and forwards. You need contrary views put um, so that you get to the right decision. Well, speaking of the right decision, Jack, Australia Day, we talked about it uh, last week. Um, uh, we believed that uh, pretty much the debate had hit rock bottom last week, Jack. A uh, bit of polling this week. Again, the polling is just really vague, but this was a sort of three-way question, and it said keep the date, January 26th, and that got a 51% support. Uh, the other 49 was broken up between 
don't keep the date, find another one, and an alternative which would, which would be the 26th of January and then another day on the 27th, two public holidays. Gee, I'd vote for that. But uh, it, 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 so that, that we had a 51.49. And the only thing I'd say about that is I think that kind of reflects where we are. And, and it might be 55.45 or it might be 50.50, but it is dividing the nation and views are very strongly held, Jack. Uh, there's nowhere, you know, <laughs> never the twain shall meet, basically. Yeah, I, I was interested to, to see what Chris Minns, the New South Wales Premier, had to say. He's sort of old-fashioned New South Wales Labor. Fellow. Yeah, yeah. Um, an admirable thing to be, in my view, uh, because they generally have their finger on the pulse of what the community's feeling. And his attitude seemed to be, well, at the moment, this is Australia Day, so we should celebrate it. Now, if there's going to be a debate about what day it's on or uh, some alternative arrangement, let's have that debate and come to a new date uh, when we can get some agreement. Well, that's in the pretty meantime, much what that's what pr- pretty much what Albanese said too. But in the but in the meantime, um, it's Australia Day, so we celebrate it. Yeah, that's pretty much what Albo said too. Uh, and, and he said, you know, we we, we will honour the date of the 26th of January as as the start of uh, the, the development of uh, Western civilization in this country, uh, words to that effect as well. But he, un- but he also played, two, played both sides of the argument, but he also said that he understood this was a great day of mourning and distress for many Australians. It's, it's like I say, it just seems like that we're, we're 50-50 on this and, um, you know, give or take a few points. And, and I, I just don't know how this is going to give. I maybe in 10 years, 20 years' time, but uh, you and I might not be around to see it. But uh, over the next two or three years, I think this is going to get become increasingly bizarre. It has led, of course, to well, we, we start the second test against the West Indies uh, day-nighter uh, at the Gabba. Oh, God, the ball. The ball moving around in the air there around dusk will uh, uh, have the West Indies battling a bit, but uh, the, their batting is, is, is a very light on, bowling good. But uh, the Australia Day thing will not be used at, at the Gabba Test match, Jack, and uh, we're recording this a day out from Australia Day. Yes. Yeah, I, I suppose these organisations uh, get to make their choice and they'll uh, please some people and upset some others. Instead, a welcome to country ceremony will be conducted on the first day of the test. I actually thought it was today, so it's tomorrow, Australia Day. Uh, Australian Open tennis organisers uh, will also err away from commemorating January 26 for the second year in a row. Yeah, and uh, Chris Minns responded to that. Um, but yeah, as you say, these are organisational. Um, these are organisa- or organisations who make their own minds up about what they want to do, and I think they're controversy averse. So I think that's dr- that drives a lot of the a lot of the decision making. Uh, yes, and 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 they belong to the they, they generally the people who are making the decisions belong to the part of the community is going to be pro changing the date. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, but but I also think that. You know that they're, they're, they're trying to sort of slip under the yeah. slip under the um, uh, uh, under the public gaze a little bit there too, and and try not to be too controversial. Um, Woolworths uh, CEO uh, got on uh, Breakfast TV, uh, I think yesterday, and um, and was talking about how Woolworths had not um, 
communicated well what their um, intentions were and, and said that basically there had been so little need for stocking what is essentially a bit of a bit of patriotic tat jack been no been no great sales of it and and uh, decided uh, decided not to stock it this year and he said that they didn't explain that very well but he also made a plea uh, to the people of Australia, can you please leave the staff alone? Because well, this is one thing he he said anecdotally. He'd looked through a great many sort of incident reports of staff being abused and vilified while they're going about their business at Woolies. Jack, not really good, is it? Pretty ordinary. Uh, no, behavior. I don't agree with that at all. Pretty for, ordinary, for whatever reason. Yeah, pretty ordinary behaviour. Leave the leave uh, leave the staff alone. Hard working, good Australians. And, uh, and and so there was some vandalism as well. I noticed Peter Dutton really hasn't addressed the issue of his call for a boycott on Woolworths. It was not his smartest move, and uh, he could have he could have just basically you know expressed a bit of rage over it without going that extra step calling for a boycott. I thought that was excessive. Um, and it leads us to the politics around the stage three tax cuts. Jack, I don't know, in Hong Kong, you may not have been aware of the, the furor this has caused in our media and allegations of, of promises broken, commitments uh, disposed of by Albanese and the Labor government uh, and... Uh, We'll get to those in a minute. Let's let's basically talk about what has happened in in terms of stage one, stage two, and stage three, which will kick in on July one of this year. Stage one was uh, tax cuts for low and middle income uh, earners, uh, and it's worth about a thousand and eighty a year to taxpayers earning between thirty and one hundred and twenty six thousand. Gee, we got middle income earners on 126,000. I suppose we do these days. Stage two, which was brought forward from 2022 to 2020, when the limit was extended for another two years, raised the 32.5 marginal tax bracket from 37,000 to 90,000 to 45,000 to 120,000. And the threshold for when the 37% tax rate kicked in was raised from 90,000 to 120,000. Um, the existing low income tax off- offset was also increased to include anyone earning less than $45,000. Now, stage three abolishes the 37% marginal tax bracket completely and lowers the 32.5%. Is this the intended, Jack? Is this the proposed? That, that's the intended. That uh, was the original, three. right? So, stage three abolishes the 37% marginal tax bracket, was designed to abolish the 37% marginal tax bracket completely and lowered the 32.5% marginal tax rate to 30%. Uh, it was also supposed to raise the threshold for the 45% marginal tax rate, meaning everyone earning between forty-five dollars and $200,000 will pay or would have paid uh, the same 30% tax rate. So where do we go from? Have you got an understanding of where the tax brackets are now, mate? Well, not entirely, um, because they haven't. So they haven't fully that, announced everything. Yeah, they haven't, they, they haven't they have fully been announced a few things like. in the Oz talking about. Uh, but the balance has moved from high income earners, who would have been the major beneficiaries of stage three tax cuts, to middle and low income earners again, Jack. Let's talk a little bit about the politics of this. Uh, firstly, there's a risk that. Uh, 
Elbow will be accused of lying, um, uh, perhaps lose a little bit of political skin over that. And then there are some real issues for the opposition. But let's start with that, with what Elbow and the government have, have got to do to sell this. I mean, the, the, the three-stage tax cuts were sold on the basis of um, the first stage benefits part of the community, the second stage benefits a slightly larger part of the community, and the, the more well-off have to wait for the third stage. So that was how it was sold as a package. Um, so walking away from that will have some political costs. I don't think a huge amount, but it has some. Mm, I and that. Uh, it just depends where where it will land. A bit hard to say. I mean, I, I think the personally, I think the problems with the Australian tax system go much deeper than this, uh, and that is that we're taxing too many people and paying them back. I think that's part of the problem, and 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 this, you know, the the restructuring of the of the stage three tax cuts, Jack, it, it, it basically kicks the reform can down the road, particularly on pay as you go taxation, and and there is a lot of double handling. And so, you know, it, it strikes me as the sort of thing politically that's very sound uh, in terms of short-term electoral gain in the broader terms of uh, much-needed reform to our tax system. It, it, it really just puts that on hold. Yeah, it's a, it's a nothing reform in that sense. Mm. What the calling of the caucus back to to Canberra to talk about this uh, and the need to do this in mid-January, mid to late January, uh, indicates to me in a political sense is that Dutton did have a pretty good year last year and Labor needed to do something to get back on the front foot right from the beginning of the year. Yeah, and and, and I think also the politics of, of, the, of, of this, of the current time, is that Allowing the stage three tax cuts to go through with its, you know, basically sort of engineered reform in it was always going to be a bridge too far for Labor. I mean, you know, giving people, you know, another ten or $12,000 a year when they're earning 250 that would have looked awful. I actually think they've got the politics on this pretty right. And, and, uh, uh, and and uh, our good mate, the pollster, has been saying pretty much the same thing, that that where this will hit, and, and, and of course the tax cuts don't kick in until July 1, but where this, will, where this will hit is essentially where Peter Dutton is trying uh, to win some votes, and that makes it very, very difficult for him. So does he oppose it? He says he will. I suspect the opposition will be pretty quiet on this. Uh, yeah, hard to say how that will pan out. Um, my problem with the tax system dates back to particularly to the Howard years um, where it became the fashion to find new ways of giving government benefits to people who are relatively well off, uh, you know, professionals earning good money. And this was done by, you know, keeping the tax rates relatively high. I think this is the wrong way to go about it. That, that's just double handling of the money and the government takes a slice out of it all. So you, it, it does need proper reform, fewer government benefits, lower tax. Yeah, I understand that. But let's, let's deal with what we've got and, um, and, and look at the politics of it. Uh, we have... A letter from uh, our good mate, uh, Baseman. Uh, actually, he'd be jumping up and down. He got published in the Sydney Morning Herald. 
Uh, and I'll read that letter to you now. Mr Albanese should abandon the $243 billion stage three tax cuts that will flow in the main to the nation's highest paid workers. This view is held by most economists and even some members of the opposition. The tax cuts were made when he had less debt and with a surplus on the horizon, according to then-Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. In the present economic climate and with a trillion-dollar debt, the tax cuts are unsustainable. The PM's main concern is with breaking an election promise and being wedged by Mr Dutton. On the eve of the 2013 federal election, Tony Abbott promised no cuts to education, health, the ABC, the SBS and no changes to pensions. He not only broke those premises but many more. The coalition went on to win elections in 2013, 2016 and 2019. Quite clearly, breaking one election promise does not necessarily guarantee defeat at the 2025 election. Mr Albanese should try and convince Mr Dutton to act in the national interest and in an era of bipartisanship renounce the tax cuts. I don't think that's going to happen. What we're going to see from the opposition is Albo's a liar, all his uh, caucus are liars, um, and indeed we've seen this from Susan Lay this morning, and, and they'll work that hard, and, and there is some skin possibly to be lost for Albo. But once these, once, this, once these dollars hit pockets as of July 1, I think that will change and make things very, very difficult for the opposition. Um, and how they play the politics around that, I, I suspect they will oppose this on the floor of Parliament. That won't do them any good um, because they'll they'll be able to get them through. Labor will be able to get them through the Senate. Uh, the crossbenchers there are enough of them are supportive of this. And uh, overall, I think it, it basically, as you say, I think it changes the political rhetoric um, for, for this year, um, acknowledging perhaps that not so much that Dutton had a good year, that, but that Elba had a pretty ordinary one. Uh, and, uh, and it starts off with a new sort of narrative uh, and, and Labor will push endlessly. You can, you can sort of see it coming as a sort of mantra that they will uh, be saying that they are uh, doing their best to assist people uh, with the cost of living um, uh, with cost of living pressures, uh, they'll, they'll 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 recite that over and over again, and I think in the end that's reasonably good politics. It may not be great for the tax system, but it, it, it it's it's pretty sensible politics. It reminds me a lot of the Howard days, um, Jack, and I just mean that that Howard was never um, late Labor Party played him all the wrong way. They sort of suggested he was an illegitimate Prime Minister and all this sort of stuff. They never got that right. And I think the opposition's making the same mistake around Albanese. Uh, but also Albanese is uh, entirely pragmatic. As a member of the New South Wales left, you would imagine that he wasn't quite like that, but he is. He's an entirely pragmatic politician who makes decisions on what are the best interests, not so much of Australia, Jack, but of his Labor government. Yeah, uh, well, I think Dutton did have a great year last year, a very, very good year last year, because we're less than 12 months away from uh, the debacle that was the Aston by-election. Uh, that's how low the, the opposition were um, in April um, last year, and they're much, much better placed now. And, well, the, and, and the polling says no. The polling says no. The polling's, still, the- polling's pretty much just pretty, pretty constant. I mean, there's been a little bit of wavering late last year, but it's pretty much 53-47. Yeah, but that's that's, that's better than it was at Aston. Um, Aston was a very, very low point for the the, the coalition. Well, better for the coalition, but it's but it's it's actually worse than it was at the uh, 2022 federal election. So that's what what you gauge it on. 
And Barry Cassidy had something interesting to say um, uh, on social media this week, uh, talking about Paul Keating and, and the, the best lines from Paul Keating. And one of them that Barry Cassidy remembered was that you don't um, try and hold your political capital. You actually use it. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a very Paul Keating approach. Um, uh, for Albanese, though, last year he spent a hell of a lot of political capital on The Voice and didn't win. And if you're going to spend the political capital, you've got to make sure you get some benefit out of it. You've got to win. Yeah, I took the time to have a look at news poll and other polling around that. And it's January 2023, um, uh, Labor improved a point uh, uh, as opposed to December of of uh, 2023. So they improved the point over the year, Jack. Mm. And that's that's the problem for the opposition. So you can say Peter Dutton had a great year, but people aren't really listening. And it's very, very difficult for an opposition leader to to, to, to cut through a bit. But I, I don't think he'd likely to become Prime Minister. And no, I've you've said that along. many times, and, and yeah. I agree with you. Um, but I think these sort of State Street tax cuts really set up uh, this is really a wedge. This is a big wedge. Because so he's been looking at the outer suburbs and the regions of Australia, the people who, who uh, are um, statistically overrepresented in those particular areas, in those particular demographics, living in the outer suburbs, regions of Australia, and, um, and, uh, and those are the people who are going to get, one, the benefits of, of, uh, of tax cuts, and two, uh, a shrinking inflation or CPI rate. Yeah, uh, if it comes off, it's a good move. Yeah, it looks uh, looks all right now. Now we're going to go overseas now, Jack. Um, Israel, Gaza, and uh, the and Iran and the Arab neighbours. We we uh, we do have potentially escalating situation, and there is a little bit of sabre rattling being directed at Israel, Jack, from the there Middle is. East. Okay. There is, and something something they are not unfamiliar with. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of rhetoric at this stage, isn't it? But there's a ceasefire. There are, there are talks being arranged for uh, between Israel and Hamas for a ceasefire, Jack. Uh, what does Hamas want from a ceasefire? Uh, they want to be um, to retain their power, essentially. No, and and of course they would be they would be required to. Uh, return all hostages. There were hostage deals made around ceasefires earlier or later last year. Uh, and, uh, and of course, we've got um, uh, South Africa taking up the cudgels, uh, alleging Israel, uh, the Israeli government, is, is guilty of war crimes, Jack. Yeah. Uh, Hamas want to retain their position in power. I don't think that's what uh, Israel's Arab neighbours want, and it isn't what Israel wants. Uh, uh, the Western media and people like Bob Carr keep talking about a two-state solution, but the Israelis don't want that, and and nor do the Palestinian Authority or Hamas want that. So well, that's, I don't yeah, know that's where that goes. Classic stalemate, isn't it? Yeah, um, you know, the only people who want the two-state solution or prepared to argue for it um, don't live in the neighbourhood. Yeah. Um, well, there needs to be some sort of resolution. I'd suggest to you, Jack, that the longer this goes, the harder it will be for uh, Israel's uh, standing in the global community. Um, and, um, and and they have a kind of vested interest, yes, in the removal of Hamas from power, but also um, uh, to, to bring this to a stop. 
Yeah, um, I think they're prepared to, to take a little bit of a hit um, uh, with their standing in the international community to get the result they want, and I think their neighbours support them. Something that struck me this week was a, a, a Labor peer from the United Kingdom um, took a visit to uh, to Israel, and he's in the... Um, uh, watching the arrivals board at Ben Gurion uh, International Airport in Tel Aviv, uh, the only fl- foreign airline flying in from either North America or Western Europe was Delta, uh, BA, Virgin, Ryanair, EasyJet, American Air Canada, etc., had all cancelled their flights. But who was it who was flying into Israel? Eddie had from Abu Dhabi, Emirates from Dubai, plus flights flights from Cairo, Amman, Bahrain, and Morocco. And that's the, the, the relationship that I think that Israel will be keeping a, the closest eye on. Are there Arab neighbours still behind them in getting rid of Hamas? And I think they are. All right. Uh, electric v- vehicles, Jack. Of course, you think uh, they're, they're a hopeless waste of money like Donald Trump. Turn in a bit of a Trumpster, mate. Uh, well, we've got uh, electric uh, uh, electric vehicles. We've, we've got some. We've got two reports here. Automotive executives uh, are talking about um, a, a cliff in EV sales in the, and that's in the United States, is it not, or is that Europe? Because the sales data in Australia is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the reason I put this in was is, is that there there are two different stories happening at once here. Uh, one is that the sales are going up in Australia, and two in in Western Europe and the United States, they're falling in a bit of a heap. Ford's um, uh, shutting down one of its uh, production lines, I think, for um, uh, for their F-150 Lightning, which is the electric version of their truck. Yeah. Interesting. I thought I thought we'd lose the weekend if we ever used one of those, Jack. Wasn't that uh, that was ScoMo's line, wasn't it, it? It was was a Scott Morrison line, I think. Um, uh, that, Sales that, have plummeted in Germany of, of fully electric cars, have, have plunged forty eight percent, and plug in hybrid sales have tumbled seventy four percent. Overall, new car sales in the country declined 23%. So I think we're looking at a bit of lies and damn statistics there, Jack, as if you've got 23% decline in new car sales, you're going to have a bit of a knock-on effect to the various EV categories. Uh, France, uh, uh, their new car sales went up 14.5% and uh, Spain 11%, um, but no figures on the electrical stuff. Uh, no, um, but in, in, in Australia they've gone up to what is it? 0.6 percent. Um, Starting uh, from a very low base, must be said. Yeah, of course. But that's where we are. Anyway, we'll see how it pans out. Oh yeah, I mean, just just visibly, what we're seeing on our roads, it, a, a lot of these sales would be Teslas, almost certainly. I mean, I just it's like every third car around here is a Tesla at the moment, and. Uh, uh, that seems to me, and I, I don't know the figures, but I'd be surprised if they don't have 70 to 70% of the market, possibly more. Um, uh, that happened in Hong Kong uh, when there was a tax benefit, um, uh, a reduction in the um, uh, import duty on uh, electric cars. Uh, and Hong Kong is full of Teslas, uh, but as soon as that 
uh, benefit to buying a Tesla was removed, the sales stopped completely. I believe the Tesla Tesla sales office here is closed now because no one's buying them at all. So we had a huge increase in the number and then it stopped altogether. Interesting. There's actually no incentive for um, uh, uh, car owners in New South Wales to buy EVs, Jack. Um, there's no uh, uh, wholesale or uh, other taxes being wiped away or anything like that. So it really is a question of, uh, people sort of, I guess, voting with their feet largely uh, and buying mainly Teslas. Um, sales uh, of battery EVs up by 7.2% in Australia. That's not just New South Wales. Um, the New South Wales, the former government actually brought in a sort of road tax for um, for EVs, Jack, because, of course, they're not paying their petrol tariffs, are they? They're not, no. they're not paying that. So <laughs> they can, they can, um, and my brother-in-law's got a got a Tesla of some description, and uh, he reckons it costs him about twelve dollars to charge to, to charge it. So that you know, a tank of a tank of fuel, if you like, costing him twelve bucks, and uh, and he's not paying any any uh, uh, tariffs to uh, to the federal government on petrol. So so the New South Wales government looked to address that. So you, there is actually a, an additional cost in buying an EV that wasn't there two years ago. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. And and, and I, I just think this is very, very early days for the development of alternate technologies to run autom- automobiles. And I think uh, we're going to look at significant changes. If it were me, and I'm actually looking at buying a new car maybe later in the year, I would look at a non-rechargeable uh, hybrid uh, and go with that. And I think there are certain price points around that that are pretty good. Um, that's the way I'd go about it at this stage. Um, and, uh, you know, to a point where you have to fill up the tank, but you'll get about a 1,000 clicks uh, before you've got to fill it up again. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's very early days. I, I really don't think we know how this is going to pan out technology. I, I don't think we do, other than there will be technological innovation which will change, which will change the way we drive. Um, there's all sorts of things set up. I mean, we can just talk about these things right now, Jack. You know, that, that whether they're EVs or whether they're um, uh, ICEs, internal combustion engines, the motor vehicle manufacturers are gearing up for, you know, what will be a revolution in automobile sales. And that's where people will actually subscribe to own a vehicle that may or may not be um, self-driven, um, but they will have access to that vehicle uh, pretty much when they want it, uh, the car will be delivered to them, either self-drive or, um, or with the driver, um, and people might pay, let's say, well, let's say uh, maybe three or four hundred dollars uh, to have access to a vehicle when they want it. Perfect if you're living in the city. In the rest of Australia, I don't know how that works, um, but. Um, uh, this is what the motor vehicle manufacturers, the big, the big ones, the Toyotas, the Mazdas, the the Fords, the Holdens, uh, that's what they're gearing up for, and that will be a dramatic decline in sales because you'll be yeah, having I, one I, car for five different people. I did this myself um, uh, in the uh, early nineteen nineties, uh, living in inner Melbourne. Um, uh, I just didn't have a car at one stage, and I, and I, and I was going to buy one and, and decided not to because. 
Um, I basically walked and trammed most places to, to commute yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and then used taxis. This is even pre-Uber, but um, uh, used taxis. And uh, for the f- a few times a year when I really needed a car, I popped down to Mr. Hertz and, um, uh, and picked one up. And, and the, the, the economics of that were terrific. Yeah. Oh, look, if you do the sums, if you talk about the, the cost of a lease, you know, if you want to buy it straight out, you know, that's silly, but the cost of a lease... Cost of the juice, cost of the maintenance, cost of parking, all these sorts of add them all up. And if you don't have a vehicle and you have to rent a car, let's say ten times a year, you're a mile in front if you rent. Yeah. And, and and so that's that's the sort of basis of this new sort of car pooling system or car subscription system that will but that that depends on where you live though. When I, I was living in you know in the middle of car, oh and yeah, all that I mean, stuff, you, you know. and I couldn't do it here. I went, yeah. well, oh, I don't know. It depends. It just depends how efficient they are. But uh, look, you'll always have people who want to hang on to their cars themselves because there there are collectible vehicles. Of course, there are you know people who uh, people who uh, just like to drive. But yeah, well, um, and and they are still a status symbol for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think you know the, the Australian culture about driving is, is so. Um, uh, um, inbuilt into our culture that 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 um, that you know I think that those sorts of programs while they might work in the big cities in Europe and and uh, the United States won't necessarily work here so well great if you're living in the inner city and you don't want to pay what 200 bucks a month for parking mm. minimum I think that is just for a car park so yeah there's, there's a lot going for it if you're in that sort of area uh, Jack, we want to take a very long look today at South Africa. They have an election coming up uh, probably mid-May, I think that is. Uh, no, we, we, 90 days after midday, within the 90 days oh, after sorry, yes, I do. Yeah, I see, what, I, I see what you say. So, yes, once uh, the president, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, uh, declares uh, elections open, it'll 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 run 90 days from, from that period. So... What are we talking about? Uh, July, August, mate. Yeah, July, um, August, September. And what we what we know about uh, South Africa is uh, post apartheid. It has essentially become a, a one um, one party state with the with the African National Congress, the ANC, dominating uh, political representation in local and, uh, and and national parliaments. But that might be changing, Jack. Yeah, in the 2021 municipal election, uh, for the first time in a national election, uh, the ANC got less than 50% of the vote, um, and that's yeah. a bit of a game changer. So tell us a little bit about what you know about some of the some of these minority parties and uh, where there might be uh, some improvement to uh, public administration in uh, South Africa. Well, they're a bit all over the shop. Um, uh, it's um, uh, a bit like the internals of the old Labor Party, you know, uh, uh, 2,000 factions of three. The the new player is the economic freedom fighters, and they're a kind of a strange mix. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they might be more extreme than the ANC on some things um, uh, and less on others. Um, it's, uh, it's a strange name for a party, Jack. It is. It is. Um, and then there were... A, 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 they have been in, in coalition with the ANC. Um, yeah, they are. Well, they are. They are, but um, more or less. 
But in July 2023, all the other small parties decided they wanted to have a united front to campaign against the uh, ANC and, and any alliance it may form with the economic freedom fighters. So we've got the Democratic Alliance, the Encarta Freedom Party, uh, Action SA, Freedom Front Plus. Jeez, all these sounds a bit extreme, but they may not necessarily be so. The United Independent Movement and the Spectrum National Party. It's an odd name. Uh, they now, all now, released now, now some, John's statement some of last that- year. Some of those are like distinguishing between the Judean People's Front and the yeah, People's right. Front of Judea. Right, you know? yeah. Um, and, and they must battle even if they are, you know, genuine genuine political parties who might appeal to the centre or vaguely to the left or vaguely to the right. Uh, they've had to live with them being, uh, being continually routed at elections, continually spanked in elections by the ANC. Yeah, um, I suspect that might be going to change because South Africa really is in... It's in deep trouble, isn't it? Is in deep trouble as a country um, and people, um, even though they have a fondness for the ANC and are grateful for the ANC for bringing about the end of apartheid, etc., that patience and that confidence will be running low. We described it in in, in, a pre, in previous episodes last year as a sort of emerging gangster state. I mean, that is where corruption yeah. is rife. Um, and this often happens where you've got, yes, the ANC were responsible for that, a, a smooth transition with the, with the old uh, National Party, were responsible for a smooth transition from apartheid and largely bloodless, which was astonishing. If you lived through those times, you just thought the whole place was going to blow up. But um, in more recent times, the ANC has is, is, is failed to be fit for purpose. And, and we're seeing some of the indicators around there. Violent crime, for, for example, is basically just um, uh, rising to it was all, it's, it's always been bad uh, for certainly the last 20 or 30 years, but is now sort of peaking in uh, all-time highs. Um, a security van heist a commonplace. The murder rate is at a 20-year high. Um, more than 27,000 people were killed um, in in um, well in the, in the last year of records, so going back a couple of years. Uh, and the number solved only 20, only one in eight. Um, so uh, that's the, you know basically you're getting away with 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 uh, with murder. Uh, and that's never a good sign. I was talking to a banker who had uh, occasion to visit Johannesburg um, uh, recently, um, and um, they have. We'll get to this. They have a problem with uh, 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 brownouts of um, uh, yes. a power shutdown. So quite often the red light cameras, the, the red lights are not working. But even when the red lights are working, um, if you're in a hire car, they won't stop at a red light because they believe that if they stop at a red light, there's a high risk Going to get jacked. of carjacking. Mm. So mm. You, you, you're in lawless times when people are going to ignore red lights because they're more frightened of being shot than they are of being in a car accident. Yes, and these sorts of robberies can become, you know, extended episodes of abduction, kidnapping, very violent mm. offending that is just, uh, again, the rates of it are really staggering compared to Australia. It's, it's, it's sort of almost, uh, 
almost about uh, uh, up by a, a factor of twenty. Um, really, one, stirring, one of the things that's uh, that is is interesting about the upcoming election is that there are still moves for uh, a succession by the Western Cape, which is Cape Down and its surrounds, right? Uh, because the Western Cape um, is doing much better. Uh, economically, um, uh, security-wise, much smaller crime problem, all that sort of stuff, um, and it's it's a non-ANC right. province, right. Um, and, and, uh, and, and they're not just like Western Australians. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a different. The Western Australians want to succeed because they want to keep all the money from uh, the iron ore and the gas, etc. Yeah, yeah. You're going to have to spend. A, going to have to spend a little bit of that on defence, aren't they? Yeah, but the but the, the but the Western Cape succession movement it doesn't have the support of the major parties who because they're both national parties and and want to uh, their aim is to get hold of I believe uh, the, the Western keys Cape to the whole of South Africa. Sorry, yeah, sorry. The Western Cape was a separate separate sort of colony, wasn't it, uh, under the British? Yes, it has a, it has a slightly different history to the. I remember the Western Cape stamps. Yeah, um, it has a slightly different history to the, the the rest of South Africa. That's correct. All right. It, it, it was it was more British than Dutch, for instance. Um, yes. Okay, I got you. Yeah. All right. So, actually, a senior official of the ruling African National Congress has actually said the South South Africa is on the verge of becoming a failed state, Jack, and that was uh, uh, from the ANC Secretary General Fikeli. Mbalua. Um, and uh, these load shedding or brownouts that they're experiencing go for 10 hours a day, up to 10 hours a day. Uh, I know that uh, Dale, uh, Dale Stein was interviewed during the cricket last year, uh, during the cricket in our summer last year, and 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 he was complaining about it. Actually, he was, he was talking about the fact that basically it uh, it's almost impossible to uh, to to reside there um, uh, with brownouts occurring. So it's not just like it's a five hour block on the day. You'll go bang, and you don't know how long it's going to last. And then the power might come on after two or three hours, and then you'll have two or three hours of electricity. And then bang, it's gone again. And uh, every time you don't know if it's going to come back on at all. It does, but uh, you're never you're never quite sure how long the wait's going to be. It, it, it's almost impossible to live under those circumstances, uh, and very very difficult to run a business um, or, yeah. or a factory or, or anything of that yeah. kind. Yeah, I, look, we might have a bit of a look there. I wouldn't mind seeing some of their manufacturing figures and things like that because I guarantee you they'd be pretty awful. Um, uh, particularly with these it, limitations. It had, it had been quite successful in, in a manufacturing sense, in part because. Um, they got um, uh, tariff-free entry into the United States market, you know, a huge market. Um, um, so people, uh, I think Mercedes-Benz build a whole a whole uh, type a big, of their big Ford there. plant there, I think. Yeah, Correct. yeah. Uh, I think I think it's the C-class Mercedes, pretty much from around the world that are made that are made in South, South Africa. Africa. Mm. So they had been having some great successes, but. Yeah, very hard to do that when you've got um, unpredictable 10-hour brownouts um, and you've got to send people home. Maybe they need another Mandela Jack um, because they need to. I mean, basically, they are beset with corruption and therefore, the you know, sort of planning infrastructure development to 
to be fit for purpose for the needs of the country, be they uh, be they um, uh, residents in their homes or uh, or uh, manufacturers or industries requiring electricity, you, you can't run an economy on this basis. Yeah, which, oh, I noticed which, they which, did join BRICS, Jack. Tell us a little bit about BRICS. Well, well they're part of BRICS. Well, they have been for the- a while. They had some. They 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 um, had some new members join. Yeah, well, well, BRICS originally was you know, uh, Brazil, uh, Brazil, Russia, Russia India, uh, India, China, China South Africa. and South Africa. Mm. Yeah, oh, okay. um, and South Africa hosted the meeting um, uh, just recently, just a couple of weeks ago. Um, uh, unfortunately, the, the 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 president of Russia couldn't attend. Oh. Um, quite quite possibly because there are international warrants out for his arrest. Um, uh, so he 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 joined on on the Zoom. A curious thing, uh, the, the, all of the others, perhaps with the exception of Russia, but certainly Brazil, uh, India, and China are, are kind of developing um, economies. And, and you sort of wonder whether South Africa still is uh, an emerging economy or whether it's going backwards. Yeah. 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 Well, the new the new countries that have joined uh, BRICS: uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, mm. the Emirates, Iran, and Ethiopia. And I suppose the good thing about that, Jack, is at least there's a back channel between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Who, you know, if we're, we're going to take things to the nth degree, are basically the major likely combatants in a in a major conflagration in in the Middle East. Yeah, I think these kind of meetings are generally a good idea. Having people talking is generally a good idea, provided you don't confuse. It's like the UN. The UN's great for that purpose. Just don't confuse it with some kind of world government. Uh, yeah, I understand. But uh, we've also got Ethiopia and Egypt there, and they're at loggerheads as well at the moment, um, basically over a dam the Ethio- a dam of the Nile that the Ethiopians are building that the Egyptians are most upset about. Been a fair bit of sabre-rattling about that. So those two will sit around the table uh, in these BRICS meetings. Uh, and uh, they did, in fact, uh, join the fifteenth BRICS, the fifteenth BRICS summit hosted in Johannesburg. Well, they probably uh, drove straight through red lights, Jack, in order to avoid being carjacked. Yeah, well, I'm sure the security was good enough for this. Um, this brings us back to the Israel and Gaza thing. Um, South Africa was, is the country that has bought the case against Israel before the International yes. Court of Justice. Mm. Uh, and I think there's a school of thought that says the reason they're doing that is because the place is such a basket case at home, they need something to distract everyone from it. Yeah, there's also a bit of history there too, isn't there? That that, that, that Israel had supported the apartheid regime uh, in South Africa while virtually the rest of the world applied sanctions to the uh, apartheid economy. Israel didn't. And maybe there's Israel, a bit of, Israel maybe there's a bit voted, of payback um, there, Jack. Israel had um, South Africa is one of the first countries in the world to recognise Israel, and Israel, in fact, had a good relationships pre-apartheid. That is, after post-war, but before before the apartheid regime started, um, and Israel voted against apartheid in the UN. But in Israel had a close relationship with countries like South Africa and Taiwan because they needed some friends who, like them, were being sanctioned or, uh, or ostracised by the wider community. 
There you go. All right. Yeah, bit of bit of, but I would think it's the uh, the the apartheid or well, the relationship between the Israeli government and the apartheid regime in South Africa that might cause a bit of consternation with the ANC, Jack, and that might have could do could that do. might have led to uh, this um, uh, prosecution attempt to prosecute the Israelis in the uh, in the Hague. Yeah. The International Court of Justice, the last time, um, what the South, South Africans are seeking is a, um, a, a some preliminary measures, which would mean that the, 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 the chief judge of the ICJ would issue a call, say, for Israel to cease all activities in Gaza, etc. Um, the last um, preliminary measures decision made by the ICJ was against Myanmar in um, uh, and in its relationships with the Rohingya. And uh, uh, it's an indication of how much effect this case will have is that I don't think there's been any notable improvement for the Rohingya people since that two yeah, years ago. Look, the, the ICJ is basically um, uh, <coughs> uh, designed to sort of mop-up operation. So often the, the, the prosecutions are done. So you've got people in jails now who've been prosecuted uh, through the ICJ. They are people from the Balkans conflict, you know, 10, 20 years later, um, uh, Charles Taylor in uh, West Africa. Um, so it's essentially, I mean, I think it's a worthwhile thing for, for, the, for the world to well, have, well, but it has well, well, clear limitations. But they've been prosecuted through the ICC, the International Criminal Court, rather than through the ICJ, which is a nation-state thing. Uh, so it works slightly differently. Oh, I see. But yes. You're yeah, quite right. There's a distinction there. Yep. You're gone. Yep. Yeah, anyway, we'll just have to wait and see how it goes. But South Africa and, and the election um, is is very important, really. Um, I think they need, they would benefit from having a, a multi-party government or a multi-party state rather than being a, being a one-party state. Bit of a shake-up. almost invariably leads to corruption problems. Bit of a shake-up required there. Um, yes, we know one-party states, whether by design or by... Um or by uh, happenstance, uh, they, they don't lead to very good outcomes. Um, yeah, with the, with the possible exception of Singapore. Yeah, yeah, yeah I guess that is one. Um, but, look, you could say the same for China, Jack, too, and a few other places. But in the end, you know, if we're looking about personal freedoms and things like that, yeah, not so much. Um, United States, Jack, uh, over to the States now. It's, uh, it's election year and, of course, um, uh, Trump has won uh, New Hampshire. Nikki Haley didn't fare too badly, just about 10 points shy of uh, the Trumpster. Uh, the, the thing you've got to recognise, about 310,000 votes were cast, so only a small number of votes. Uh, it's a very small state. It's a very small state. Yes, that's quite right. But um, this is registered Republican voters only, so you get even smaller slice of, of that pie. And... and and uh, Nikki Haley did well enough to you now she considers she can stay there. Um, uh, and did you see that? Did you see the Donald speaking to the media saying, "No, it was actually speaking to the faithful after uh, or his sort of victory speech where he talked about how Nikki Haley could be subject to investigation uh, for things she knows about, won't talk about, and she could be investigated within about five minutes." And it was kind of a little bit chilling, Jack. Mm. Yeah, well, I'm, I, I, I don't approve of people um, uh, using uh, the legal system uh, against their political opponents by anybody doing that. Um, 
I think she stays in provided the money holds up. Yeah, she spent a fair bit of money in New Hampshire. In fact, it's sort of estimated in the tens of millions. Um, but um, uh, but she didn't do too badly. Now, we moved to South Carolina, which is sort of less than a month away now, and that is her home state. But the polling is showing a clear lead to Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, provided she's getting the, the, the never-Trump money, she'll stay in the race, I think. Uh, Ron DeSantis has, has given it away. Yes, um, Ron's and, gone. And I was asked the other day that I think that he had a, um, a chance in the future, and I said, well, look, there have been people who've lost out in the primaries who've gone on to become president, you know, uh, Ron Reagan, Joe Biden, um, uh, and a few others. But I think with Ron DeSantis is that the, the things that stopped him going well in the primaries won't go away. Um, uh, he's uh, uh, he's just not good. Um, he's terrible. Let's just let's just get it out there. I mean, he should go back to Tallahassee and sit in front of a mirror and learn how to smile for a start. Because mm. every time he was sort of called upon to to smile, there was this sort of rictus appeared on his face. The most unnatural looking politician I've seen. He's bright. One of the things that I noticed just from the Iowa caucus, um, Jack, was that uh, was that Republican voters uh, were saying they didn't like what was happening in the libraries in Florida, and they didn't want that to happen in Iowa, which I thought was really really interesting. Don't touch our libraries. Keep your hands off our libraries. That's a pretty uh, that's a pretty sort of bold move. Um, so Iowa very different to Florida, but yeah, I, I found that really interesting. Yeah, uh, he's he's just not good um, uh, shaking hands and meeting with people and campaigning. But there, you know, that, that that was a problem with Hillary Clinton. Was a problem with Mitt Romney. You know, the people who've been good at that recently. Bill Clinton was the best, probably the best ever. Uh, George W. Bush, well, he was better than Al Gore. Um, uh, Obama was excellent at it. Uh, Trump's pretty good at it, um, but most of the rest of the of the candidates have not been good at that. And DeSantis is in that camp. Yeah, he is. But I, I think, look, there are a couple of strategic errors he made. He he had uh, a very fine advisor that was ultimately sacked in a bit of a sort of skullduggery move, and she understood the national scene better than the other – or the, the rest of the advisors that were, that were on RDS's uh, team, and, and they were basically Tallahassee – um, uh, political apparatchiks um, with no national experience, no ability to get a message or understanding of how to get a message across to a completely different environment, which is uh, something you need. But overall, I think his biggest problem was that he was Trump-like and, and you know, he was appealing to the sort of MAGA uh, uh, slice of the vote uh, and, uh, and he couldn't out-Donald Donald. Yeah, I think his problem was that he was a, um, a, a successful state politician. It's a bit like being a good shield cricketer, uh, but yeah. put him in a test match and they're not, they're not good enough. Bowling a bit quicker, bowling a bit straighter, and um, yeah, yeah it's uh, harder to get away with. Um, so you think she'll move on? This is Nikki Halley. You think she'll move on from a loss from South Carolina? I think that might be the end of her. Yeah, if the money holds up, that, that's another month away. If the money holds up, she'll last that long. Um, but the money the money determines these things. She can't afford to stay. She won't be able to. 
There has been a bit of talk, and I know this is from the, the sort of Never Trumpers and uh, from the Democrats too. But there has been a bit of uh, a bit of talk about Trump's, um, shall we say, uh, uh, mental faculties, Jack. Uh, the sort of stuff that um, that uh, beset uh, Joe Biden over the last year or two, um, and this came from a uh, a speech where uh, Trump tried to say Nancy Pelosi, but said Nikki Haley time and time again. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, and and he, he sort of got the impression that he knew that he'd made the slip, and he just decided he was going to run with it. Uh, Nikki Haley was in charge of uh, security at, uh, at, the, at, the, at uh, the Capitol building and all this sort of stuff, which is patently untrue. And she actually got up and I thought it was a pretty bold thing for her to do. And she said, look, you know, you know, anyone who's 80 probably doesn't have the faculties to become president of, of this country. And I think that's going to be a big issue as we go forward if, if Trump is – wins his primary, Biden is essentially uh, unchallenged through the primary process, uh, then you're going to have America expressing a good deal of uh, Americans, American voters expressing a good deal of frustration, particularly independent voters, that the, 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 the two picks they've got are pretty ordinary, Jack. and Well, um, not yeah, just pretty ordinary, now, but old. Um, who put that really very well, um, uh uh, in the last uh, 24 hours, David Burge from uh, from Austin, Texas, um, uh, he said it's like being in a lunatic asylum uh, and having uh, you're strapped in, and there are two lunatics arguing over who's going to do the lobotomy on you. Um, uh, um, uh, and he says neither of them. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it's going to come to a head. It does. I mean, the primary process particularly if it ends earlier, probably it, it would advantage Bobby Kennedy Jr., who is the sort of third candidate. But his, his polling is, is really, or certainly the polling that I last looked at in December, was was uh, reflective of that frustration. And he was getting sort of 25s and things, 25% support, particularly in... Um, in swing states, and that and that sort of, I think, is just a reflection of sort of none of the above. It is. Yeah, well, well, I think it's pretty clear that a majority of Americans would like to choose someone else, but the primary system isn't giving them that. Uh, yeah, it just isn't. It does. It's not giving them a lot of choice at all. And if and if Haley's gone by by South Carolina, which will be in February, uh, then um, uh, uh, basically you've just got two old men, you know, yeah. wandering around. So or Donald will be in and out of court, but. But interesting thing this morning is on Twitter, uh, a, uh, a sort of Republican threw a cat amongst the pigeons by, by tweeting this, if Trump suddenly passed away, who should be the GOP nominee? Well, all hell broke loose after that. <laughs> People were saying, why are you saying that? And he says, well, he's 77. He's above the life expectancy of a normal American mark. He's not looking all that flash either, is he? When you see him in the in the uh, the moments where uh, perhaps the make off makeup is not on, or uh, at the end of the day when the makeup is smudging really badly, he doesn't look flash. 
Yeah, uh, but some of his supporters were jumping in very quickly to say, look, he's in great shape and all that sort of stuff. And that caused more hilarity um, uh, uh, with the idea that he's in great shape. Well, you know, there, were, there were photos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There, there, there have been the, the sort of never-Trumpers who, who put about the idea and it was, um, uh, it was supported by Kevin McCarthy that uh, Trump smells. Um, and that he might uh, uh, might uh, soil the underpants every now and then. McCarthy said only all you could smell from him was makeup, ketchup, and uh, I forget what the other third of things were. <laughs> but this sort of terrible cocktail where it wasn't all that flash to be downwind from him, uh, but not yeah. so much that he was incontinent. There has been that talk for a while, and. Yeah, been photos, photos taken. Who knows if they're genuine or not? Whether the Trumps has got uh, got the peony pads on. Who's going to be his vice president uh, pick, Jack? I see Carly, uh, former White House press secretary Carly McEnany, jumped into this. We'll talk about that in a minute. But but Trump absolutely steamrolled her on social media in reply. He did. She thought that he, he should go with Nikki Haley, um, uh, and Trump um, swung back and said, if you study the history of pre- presidential runs, a vice presidential pick has never made a difference. It's a one-night story, then they go back to regular evening viewing. Yeah, uh, there's a lot to be said for that, and, and anyone who's seen uh, the wonderful show Veep just basically you know, creates that vice president who basically doesn't do anything. You know, they're... they're position is entirely symbolic a job for tucker carlson jack he's another oh, one no, who's I been touted he, i don't think he would go there yeah probably wouldn't earn enough money and um and all he'd be doing is going around opening up schools uh yes so yes kylie McEnany, the so-called barbie doll of communications in the white house during the trump years has uh, copped a nice old slapping from uh, from the donald uh, for having the temerity to suggest that Nikki Haley should be a VP candidate. What more do we say about Trump, Jack? I mean, look, we know, as, as I understand it, uh, then this, the DC trial will, will, will commence on March the 3rd. I, I don't think there have been any delays there. Uh, well, at, at the moment, every time there's a legal move against him, his um, polling goes up. Um, it remains to be seen whether that will continue to work that way when there's actual evidence being presented. That's the, that's the unknown. Yeah, it is, we don't yeah. know. Yeah, it, 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 it is. But look, these things, I mean, there was talk that uh, the, the trial would be suspended when the, the US uh, Supreme Court, the SCOTUS, uh, had a look at the issue of presidential immunity. It's a very, very colourful topic to be talking about. Um, uh, Trump's lawyers, of course, are, are claiming that no matter what he did when he was president, he can't be indicted for them now or he can't be prosecuted for them now. Yeah, so, you, look, he's got all this sort of stuff and, it, 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 you know, on, on as baggage. And, and I, I, it, it's just impossible to know where it's all going to end. It is. Uh, I, I'd say the sensible assessment is he's still the most likely person to be the president uh, next year. But there's a lot of bits and buts about that. Yeah, I, I would say on the on the basis of polling. I mean, we, we talked about this. Nikki Haley beating Joe Biden hands down. RDS, for all his manifest shortcomings, uh, was beating Joe Biden hands down. But in the the Trump Biden head to head, there's no real clear winner. 
I mean, I, you look well, at one the party, you've got Trump, Trump, yeah. Trump, yeah, Trump a point up or, or Biden a point a point up. Um, and um, so, you know, on polling alone, an early polling in in and around primaries around, or in, uh, this this part of the electoral cycle in, in the United States, probably not terribly indicative of what's going to happen in November. But at the same time, you would think the Republicans may, you know, Perhaps like the Democrats should be going, we really should have better candidates. Way better um, candidates. Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen with the Republicans. I do think that I don't think that that, that, that um, Biden will be the candidate. That's my gut feeling. But Yeah, we could we'll do the what ifs, what ifs endlessly with the American election at the moment. I mean, what if he's in jail? What if he's convicted? You know, I mean, it, 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 there's just an endless amount of speculation that we won't get into today. <coughs> The Wall Street Journal has been talking about the divide in politics, just as we have, Jack, uh, and uh, and they have identified what we might call elites. Um, I really dislike the term, but um, perhaps there are no other options. Uh, I think this was just a way, a word to describe, um, uh, I think it's about a 1% of the population, the people who earn over 150000 uh, uh, US and have a postgrad qualification, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it's the professional class and above. If you like, yeah, this is this is a global phenomenon, isn't it? It is. Yeah, and and, and their views. Um, they they did this for another organisation. Rasmussen's did. Um, uh, they they polled what they call the elites, and I agree, it's a terrible word. Uh, the rest of the population. Um, uh, and people who are Ivy League graduates uh, um, from the from the Ivy League school. Well, they're the they're the ultra elites. Yes, yeah, yeah. And the the, the results were instructive. I mean, on the politics of it, uh, the elites have gave Biden an eighty four percent approval rating. Uh, he gets forty percent from the the wider population. Um, uh, but they various other things as well. The elites have a favourable view of uh, university professors, journalists, lawyers, uh, union leaders, and even members of Congress, whereas the wider population doesn't don't like them much at all. Who's uh, who, who, got any time further. for the Congress? I mean, <laughs> I didn't know. I mean, when I look at the polling on do you think the the uh, the, the Congress is functioning well and, and, and serving the American people, you get sort of high 80s saying no. Yeah. High, 87, 88% saying it's a complete disaster. It needs to be, um, yeah. uh, needs to be uh, reformed from the ground up. Except for the elites. Yeah, so it's an interesting so I think it's take, going okay. It? And I mean, even, it, even, it, even, uh, even simpler things like how much would you pay for to ameliorate climate change, for instance? You know, the, the great unwashed, the ordinary people say, well, 100 bucks a year would top it out. Um, and the elites say, "Well, we pay whatever it costs." You know, it's how much is there enough government? No, it, it's all quite different. There is a, a real divide uh, on a whole series of questions between the professional class and the wider population, and I think that I suspect that probably applies in other parts of the Western world as well: the UK, Australia, France. Yeah, and what I'd say there is that the Liberal Party really haven't had a presence in those electorates where 
the sort of like I guess what we might be calling blue collar type issues, of, and I know that's a that's a term we probably should use a lot less of too. But um, a, a sort of working Australians, um, low and middle income earners, uh, and and I think there's a great race on for their support um, uh, between uh, Labor and the Coalition. Yeah, as well, but the, the Liberal Party are, are hampered somewhat because they've they've never really spent a lot of time in there. Yes, they don't have yeah, the structure yeah. there. They don't have the, the the ability to deliver volunteers and door knock and do all the things the grassroots stuff has to has to happen. This has happened before in 1949. Uh, Robert Menzies won um, the first big post-war election because he was able to appeal what he called the you know the forgotten Australians that uh, you know and they were the small business people, the trades people, all that sort of stuff. Women. Um, and and women and and he, and he got that got that took him into power and and they stayed there for twenty three years, but it's not an easy thing to do. But it's a, it's a the same situation keeps coming up in other in not just the United States but in Australia um, in the and the UK. It's a uh, it's front and foremost in what's going to be an interesting battle for um, an election yeah. there this year. And, and as I said, global phenomenon and it, it's whoever can speak to these people clearly and uh, effectively uh, is going to win that contest. Um, uh, uh, and uh, uh, as I say, in Australia, the Liberal Party start from the back of the field because they really don't have um, a, a dedicated party structure running through the outer suburbs. But, Jack, if we stay with the American stuff, the US economy is absolutely on fire. The Dow Jones hit record highs during the week this week. Uh, inflation uh, now at uh, well below controllable band, up to about two, or down to about 2.4. Uh, oh, sorry, um, um, no, no, I'm looking at their growth rate. The, the US economy will, will, will expand by 2.5, which is a bit tepid, but compared to Europe, Germany, Britain, etc. It's it's a lot quicker. Their inflation rate. Well, I don't have the figure in front of me. I think it's a it's got a two in front of it as well, and uh, and an enormous amount of job growth in the United States. So there are very good signs on the US economy. Uh, the um, the inflation is, rate's down to three point two. I think three point two uh, okay. from from nine percent, but from down from nine percent last year to three point two. So it ought to be. Well, people ought to be feeling better about it, but they are not. Uh, yeah, and, and these things do take problem. a while to filter into household budgets. One of the huge uh, points of anger uh, was the was the spike in oil price and, and at the Bowser and people uh, their large American cars. Uh, Jack uh, having a having a drop. Uh, well, be hundred and twenty here, probably be about 80, 80 for them. Um, and that was that was making people very very angry, great drivers of course. But the the gas price is down. They've got some very good figures, um, but yeah. it's not filtering through on the on the polling so far. Not not coming through. Um, but certainly the Democrats are at least starting to talk about it, which they should have been talking about a little while ago, uh, and saying, look, you know, the economy's in pretty good shape. And if you do look at solid economies, and if the U.S. economy continues to roll, the markets overflowing with money, um, then uh, then generally speaking, you know, you're, you're in a pretty solid position to be re-elected. I mean, with all uh, of the yes. other constraints around Biden put to one side. 
Yeah. Yeah, all it's right. Not, it's not working yet. It should be, but it's not. Not not yet. Not yet. All right. Now, um, we uh, want to now move into the world of sport, Jack. BBL, uh, Brisbane Heat won it. Has the BBL been a success? Um, it's hard to know. I think they've abbreviated the season. There was a sense of an almost endless competition going on there that started in early December and finished around about this time, late January. Um, and they've abbreviated the season. They made some made some rule changes and things like that. I, I, I think they bragged last night at the uh, the final that there had been a million people go through the turnstiles around the country. Always strongly supported. The Perth Scorchers always strongly supported in Perth. Uh, Adelaide uh, Strikers um, also bring draw in big crowds. Um, uh, the MCG looks a bit sparse when um, uh, when the when the two Melbourne sides uh, play there and. Um, and I must say that the Sixers who played in the final against Heat last night, they, they get good numbers at the SCG. The thing I'd say about this competition that makes it uh, a really sound one and worth watching is that you're seeing the next level of development uh, coming into the Australian side. So um, Fraser McGurk, who's been elected, been selected uh, to uh, to play in the uh, to play in the Australian ODIs, he is going to be special, mate. She hits it well. Very odd name. He's moved to South Australia from Victoria um, and got a bit of a new lease of life there. Hits the ball as well as anybody, and and, and so you're, you're actually seeing these these players come through. There've been some a lot of foreign players play historically in the competition. I suspect less so this year. There've been a few Englishmen come across. I suspect, but less so than last year. And and that's what I like about the BBL. Maybe other people don't, but I, I like to see these emerging young players, the the twenty twenty one year olds, um, uh, and see how they get on. Did did the Sixers play last night? Well, uh, they didn't play all that well. It must be said. Um, and. I, I actually thought they were the form side in the competition. Expected them to go really, really well, um, but uh, Brisbane too good. And um, it followed an innings. I'm just looking for his name. He's it, 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 Josh Brown. Josh Brown. My lord, the the, the hundred and forty odd he got uh, at Carrera. It's rare you see batting like it. I mean, he, he, he made about two-thirds of the score. He dominated every bowler that he faced and just hit them out of the park for fun. 12 sixes, which is a record in an innings. And this is a guy who battles to get a Guernsey uh, for his state uh, and plays around the sort of periphery of club cricket and uh, – uh, he's got particular skills at hitting the ball a very long way. I suspect there'd be people in India going, eh, we could pick him up for a bit of a song. Uh, yes, it was quite something to watch. Um, one rather felt for the bowling and feeling side, there didn't seem to be anything they could do. There was, yeah, it, it, it's, it's rare you see this complete domination in any form of cricket, a complete domination of bat over ball. And, uh, and really, it, it, once he got to about... 80, it was just six or, six or out. You know, I'm just going to hit the ball, next ball for six. And uh, <laughs> most of the time he did. Uh, 
extraordinary innings. Well done to him. He's, he did it in front of his mum and dad, which is lovely too. Um, and uh, he seemed like a really humble bloke. Big, big boy. Hits the ball a long way. So, again, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a guy with a big future in the club. Uh, in 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 uh, uh, the, the the national level, the the other guy that uh, that you sort of look at and think, oh wow, how did uh, how's he make how's he missing out? What a good cricketer he is, Michael Nisa, um, fantastic bowler, hits the ball a long way, wonderful field. He's he's almost made an art form of these catches over the boundary line and flick it back in. And um, yeah, so it's sort of it's just a bit of a reminder too. Uh, we saw um, uh, Scotty Bowen having a bowl uh, for the Melbourne Stars, or they they continue to underperform. But you just do see these guys who are on the periphery. Michael Nisa, mate. If we had just a you know just a, a, a one or two gaps in that fast bowling lineup for Australia, he would be you know sort of bloke who take two hundred Test wickets easy. You know he's a really good player. Hmm. So yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's been a, a great success. I, I watch it. There is a sense of a bit of wallpaper about it sometimes. That you, you know that the wallpaper's on. You got the BBL, and you might not always be watching that closely. But um, and the other side of that, well, the the, the add on to that is if a T Twenty game is one sided, it's almost unwatchable. A uh, bit like last night, the final was pretty dull. Dull, yeah, not a lot of yeah. crowd noise. But uh, but look, I, I think it goes well. It's uh, I think they got the timing right. It ought to finish about the Australia Day weekend when people are going back to work from their summer holidays. It's perfect summer holiday uh, time filler for bit people to have, paper, as you yeah. say, on in the background. Watch it closely when it gets a bit exciting towards the end. Uh, even here at my local in Hong Kong, the American guys will. Keep a, an eye on it and and watch closely for the last five overs if it's a run if it's a good run chase. Yeah, there's a there's this is this is my tip on how to watch a T20. Watch the first four to six overs to see how the openers are going. If they're going really really well, uh, then keep watching. If not, you know they're sort of two for thirty or something like that after four. You know, just keep an eye on things and then towards the end of the innings, uh, watch it a bit more closely and uh, and do the same. For the other for the other innings, but yeah, if, a, if an opening bat like Josh Brown gets hold of a side, and it is rare, it's the only hundred that was made in the BBL this year. Uh, it is. It was it one hundred and forty or fifty-five or sixty, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, something of that order. It was the most. Ext- you know, you don't see innings like that very often. Just complete domination of ball. Wouldn't matter who's bowling; he's hit everyone out of the attack. But we go to the longer form of the game, Australia v the Windies, Jack, and that starts tomorrow. And look, I think the West Indies uh, in Adelaide performed admirably. I think they bowled well. I thought they fielded well. But their batting, it just lacks experience. And they're, and they're facing, let's face it, the best attack in the world. So that's yeah, the uh, they just need to play more test cricket. Um, um, meanwhile, in in India, uh, and it starts tomorrow as well. India v England. Yes, in a big series, a big series, uh, yeah. a big series, which will come on um, right about beer o'clock for me, um, uh, which is perfect. Yeah, I'll certainly be watching a lot of it. Uh, they've been hotly contested um, test series, particularly England in India. They go okay there. Um, Joe Roots had made a lot of runs over there, 
In fact, there was a rather wonderful piece that Michael Atherton introduced on Twitter uh, of uh, Kevin Peterson talking about uh, how he liked to bat in India and how he perhaps lost his way a bit early on and and um, and, and just needed to make some adjustments. He found himself just just propping on the front foot a bit too much, and he went through these drills uh, that got him just watching the watching the ball before he moved forward. So the the the, the, the forward movement, where if it came, he'd be able to get back on the back foot too. But if the forward movement, if it came, he was he was hitting the ball at just around about the same time as his uh, as his foot. Um, uh, uh, as his foot hit the sod, uh, as his foot hit the turf, so um, going to be a great series. Uh, I, uh, I just think India's bowling tax going to be a bit strong for him, mate. Yeah, the, the the English people, Englishmen are talking about maybe um, uh, one seamer and three spinners um, uh, in the first test in Hyderabad. Well, they, it looks they, to be- they got, well, they have got a visa now for for one of the young young tweakers yeah. who's a Muslim um, boy. It, it, it looks like a dust bowl. Uh, already, um, so that'll be very interesting to see. Um, DRS has changed cricket in India quite a bit, I think, because he used to be able to prop on the front foot and kick the off spinner away. That's what that's what that's what uh, Peterson was saying. And uh, and DRS has changed all that because you, you you're going to get pinged LBW even if even if your front foot's quite a way down now. Yeah, there's uh, restrictions to uh, to the DRS in terms of ball tracking. Um, I think it's three metres from the crease. If you go further than that, uh, then it can't be out. But, yeah, I, I, I still don't know that uh, DRS or the ball tracking is scientific enough to be reliable. I mean, there's talk now, you know, where you've got umpires call and, and if the umpires uh, pinged you out and the ball manages to flick the stumps, Okay, but if the umpire said not out and the ball flicks the stumps, um, then it remains not out, uh, even though the ball was even just just shaving the, the stumps and would remove the bail. So, should we just go to a straight DRS if it's hitting? Yes, it's out. If it's not, just move on. Forget the umpire's call. Yeah, no, I kind of like it the way it is. I mean, look, the real reason we had DRS was to get rid of the the really the real howler decisions um, uh, and I think we've taken a little bit too far yet the other way of saying well we're going to decide everything by DRS I don't kind of like that well just statistically Jack if you left the umpires to make their decisions you would get um, um, uh, them being right 92 percent of the time and that includes clean bowl dismissals and fly ball catches on the boundary uh, but with DRS, it's 99. So there's still that 1% that we're not covering. But yeah, yeah. so, you, so you, you're getting rid of basic mistakes. Uh, and I just think we need – I suppose if you, if you take away the umpire's call, then you'd have people appealing and just go straight upstairs. And yeah. maybe that's not a good look either. So Maybe it'd be a time waste. That's right. appeal for everything. Yeah, okay. Uh, tennis, Jack. Who wins? Who wins the Australian Open? It's got to be probably Djokovic probably, again. Yeah, I mean, look, whatever. I mean, he's is he the goat? Um, his numbers say yes. Yeah, um, he's still a very unlikable fellow. He's not he? easy to like, is he? <laughs> not easy to like. But um, there was quite a lot of controversy about uh, 
about the crowd behaviour, well, not so much crowd behaviour, but what was permitted and what wasn't. That uh, and uh, some some of the players got a bit upset about uh, movement from the crowd after a game. And you think, well, well just get on with it, man. You know, <laughs> if you didn't have people watching you, you wouldn't be getting the you know whatever it is for a first round contest. I mean, win, lose, or draw, you're walking away with a hundred thousand <laughs> for a first round game. And, yeah. um, well, and one mate, thing they have to fix up is uh, starting games at ten or eleven o'clock at night. Um, they uh, seem men's, to love that. Uh, I, I don't know if Channel Seven on the hook to them saying, "Look, can we just keep going?" Because we like people to watch games at five o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's ridiculous. It doesn't make doesn't seem to make any sense to me. Yeah, you, I, I'm, people aren't going to do that. I mean, they might set up the telly in in the bedroom and fall asleep watching. But seriously, he's going to watch a game tennis at three o'clock in the morning. That's when that, the only time we do that is when the ashes. Ashes is on, don't we? Uh, we learn to live without sleep. Um, all righty. Well, that uh, that covers uh, all of our news for the day, Jack. Unless you've got something silly to take yeah, us out. Yeah, uh, look, you know, a, um, a very important court case in India at the moment. This is all over Indian social media. It's not quite as big as the cricket, but it's big. It's a court case between two restaurant chains over who has the right to claim that they invented butter chicken and dal makhani. Well, and, uh, we, we know the source of um, what's the British staple Indian? Chicken tikka masala. Chicken tikka masala. We know the origins of that, uh, origins of that in the UK, um, but uh, butter chicken, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It is uh, the well, Western meal of choice, isn't it? Particularly the cricketers. And so, you know, they, they did do an interview. And when you go to India, what do you eat? And every one of them said butter chicken and nothing much else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it started um, uh, uh, either in Delhi um, and, and you know, we can narrow it down. There are two restaurants, two restaurant chains, um, Modi Mahal and what's the other one called? Uh, Kundam La Gujaral. Yeah, right. Lager Heads. Yep, and it, it's a matter of dispute, and it's before the courts as we speak, um, oh. and a decision will probably be later in the year. We're going to need an update. Okay, we're going to need an update there, Jack, so keep an eye for it. So who has the rights? Are we talking about copywriting, trademarking here? It's not quite either of those. It's just a question of one restaurant change trying to prevent the other from from saying that they were the founder, that, that, that right. they invented the yeah. recipe. It's, yeah. it, it's like the Chico Roll in Australia, Jack, where there is this hot dispute over, over which country town came up with it. I can't remember which one. There's one in oh, Victoria and there's one in New it? South Wales. <laughs> Look, if you're going to if you're gonna, uh, uh, put your credentials up as we invented the Chico Roll, I think you're probably, uh, you're probably not going to yeah. get a lot of the tourist no, dollar coming through your door. <laughs> All right, thanks very much, mate. Uh, and that takes us out this week. Uh, and we'd love to hear from you, by the way. So uh, do as our good mate uh, Ray ha- has done this week, and drop us a line. We did have, uh, I did have a few comments from uh, from our great farming mate, uh, but they weren't really comments about the show. <coughs> and um, and uh, we'll. Um, you know, so so like I say, drop us a line. Um, you can get hold of me. My DMs are always open on X, formerly known as Twitter. 
Um, that's at Jack the Insider there. And you can get hold of Jack if you want to on his uh, what's uh, it called? On hongkongjack.substack.com. On his Substack. So there you go. Drop us a line if you want to. Um, DMs are always open and we'd love to uh, read out your letter or your comment uh, on our show. And that takes Seth for the week. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks, Jack. We'll talk to you later. And bye, listeners. Cheers, mate.